Welcome to 15 Minutes to Wellness by the American Council on Exercise. I'm Dr. Michael Mantell, the ACE Senior Fitness Consultant for Behavioral Sciences and your host for this series. My goal today and for every podcast in our series is to discuss some small steps you can take to help you better your life and find happiness through optimal health. In each of these podcasts, I'll be interviewing a leading health and fitness expert, someone who's making a difference and who can make a difference in your life. I also want to welcome the hundreds of thousands of folks searching for positive ways to make fitness and nutrition a part of their daily, hectic, busy, tight, and budgeted lives. Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Michael Mantell. I'm the Senior Fitness Consultant for Behavioral Sciences for the American Council on Exercise. And we have a remarkably special guest who is such a busy fellow, Dr. Ed Phillips. Uh, everyone calls him Eddie. Is it okay if I call you Eddie? Absolutely, Mike. All righty. Great. Uh, Eddie uh, is an assistant professor of physical medicine and rehabilitation at Harvard Medical School and the director of the Institute of Lifestyle Medicine at the Jocelyn Diabetes Center. Uh, Dr. Phillips is a fellow of the American College of Sports Medicine and serves on the executive council that developed and leads the most remarkable uh, revolutionary change in medicine in a long time, I think, and that's called Exercise is Medicine. He's the co-author of the American College of Sports Medicine's Exercise is Medicine and the Clinician's Guide to the Exercise Prescription, chair of the Exercise is Medicine Education Committee, and folks, I'd like to introduce you to Dr. Eddie Phillips. Great to have you with us today. Great to be you, here. Thank you. You um, are a lightning rod in America for reform in, uh, educa- in, in, in medical education. Uh, you have a program that you like to call Plan the Revolution to include lifestyle medicine in medical schools. Can you talk about a little bit about that? Sure. So I, I, I would say uh, to, to start with, that I, I'm still waiting for that lecture that I never got in medical school about exercise. And I didn't want to have the same disappointment for all of the tens of thousands of medical students that follow me. And so as part of exercise as medicine and as part of a broader effort of uh, lifestyle medicine, which also, of course, includes nutrition and sleep and stress management um, and self-care, and also how to evoke changes at last in our patients. Uh, we are working very hard with funding originally from the Macy Foundation, uh, which funds medical education, and now from the Ardmore uh, Health Institute to, as, I, as you said, and I've said to you, uh, plan the revolution, which is a strategy to integrate lifestyle medicine into the curricula of U.S. medical schools. And that's going on as we speak. Let's define lifestyle medicine. You mentioned um, exercise and stress prevention and how to manage it. I talk about prevention, not management. But sound nutrition, uh, uh, sleep in a healthy way, tobacco, alcohol, drug use. Uh, Lifestyle medicine um, is becoming a very popular concept, as physicians understand, uh, Uh that prevention is so important. Talk about lifestyle medicine and a little bit about the Institute of Lifestyle Medicine. Sure. So back in the summer of 2009, I participated 
in a group which ended up publishing in JAMA the following year in a, sort of a landmark paper in our field, uh, Lifestyle Medicine uh, Competencies for Prescribing a Lifestyle Medicine. So this was done by uh, Liana Leonov uh, as the primary author uh, in July of 2010. And in it, we defined lifestyle medicine as the evidence-based practice of assisting individuals and families to adopt and sustain uh, healthy uh, activities, uh, activities that will improve their, their health and quality of life. And as you parse that out, the first thing is that it's all evidence-based. We know from tens of thousands of articles, definitively, tobacco use is bad for us. We know from tens of thousands of articles, definitively, that generally increased or appropriate levels of physical activity are good for us. What lifestyle medicine is about is taking that evidence and applying it to a practice, to sort of a translation issue. How do we get our patients, how do we get ourselves to adopt, and then the big word that I love to dwell on, and sustain healthier behaviors? Because we know that they're going to improve our our health and quality of life. So that's the definition of lifestyle medicine. And when the uh, average person goes to his or her physician, and they're looking for this. Um, they want, they're hoping that the physician had the lecture that you missed and that you're now bringing to medical schools. What can the average person expect uh, when they see their physician today? What should, the, what should the patient say if they're not hearing about exercise? Let's just say about, talk about exercise. <laughs> That's a, so, yeah, so, so it's a great question. If we just sort of dwell on exercise, uh, probably, according to the American College of Sports Medicine, probably at least 40% of doctors say and actually do mention exercise, uh, usually so, something quickly like you should get more exercise, which is um, not the ideal way of delivering the message. It should be much more specific and it should be tailored to what the patient is ready, willing, and able to do. But they'll, they'll hear something like that. Um, the, it's not like doctors are not supportive. Um, it's just that we're not trained in this. And as we actually survey doctors to say, so why don't you counsel on exercise more? What's interesting is that they, come, they have a list of sort of objections. One of them is I'm not trained. Another one is that I don't have the confidence to do this. In other words, I've got lots of docs coming to us and to our courses at the Institute of Lifestyle Medicine saying, I've been telling my patients for 30 years to exercise, nobody's listening. And we try to train them in a, in a supportive way to, to show them that pointing fingers at patients is a demotivational way of doing it. it it's, it's not motivating to sort of accuse or just sort of um, require this. It's, it requires more of a, a negotiation with uh, patients. Uh, additionally, doctors uh, have integrity and we very clearly do not recommend what we do not do. So if a doctor is themselves inactive, they will not, uh, in good faith, tell someone to exercise. And what's interesting, there have been studies by my colleagues that show that it gets very specific, Mike. So if you're, if you're my doc and you lift weights, you're going to end up with some weightlifting patients. And, and, and running doctors end up with patients that run because that's what we know. I'm, I'm a, an avid bicyclist, and my patients see me wheeling my foldable bicycle in, in and out of the office, and they see the, the bicycle helmet on the desk, and guess what I talk about? 
So, uh, so they, they should expect more and more to hear uh, and, and be seeking a prescription for exercise. They should also, as part of the Exercises Medicine campaign, and this is happening thankfully across the country, they should more and more expect that their physical activity levels, their physical activity will now be assessed as a vital sign that we will ask them at every visit, so how many minutes are you getting each week of a moderately intense physical activity like a brisk walk? Mm-hmm. That's the new vital sign. So it's interesting. Um, the uh, American Council on Exercise has uh, recently relaunched with a lot of vigor and a lot of uh, new energy and focus um, the the health coach certification, training fitness uh, folks and others in motivational interviewing and specific behavioral change technology and technique. Uh, and I say technology because everybody is using digital something or other these days. I'm very curious about this. So physicians understand that exercise uh, can prevent the need for medicine, and for many people, exercise can be medicine. Uh, The Journal of American Medical Association just last week released a study about exercise for depression. Um, And so what do you think about the partnership between fitness professionals and uh, medical professionals? What do you see happening in that that, uh, path? So I would say in terms of the the partnership, uh, it's something that is evolving. It's something that needs to evolve. Um, And as the broader scope and the way that medicine is practiced, meaning that the Affordable Care Act is the law of the land, is taking effect, and the way that uh, doctors are, are becoming or will be paid, which is more and more going to be based on what we call value or on sort of the outcomes and the behaviors of their patients, the fitness professionals will increasingly become sought out as needed allies in getting our patients to adopt and sustain higher or appropriate levels of physical activity. So now there's a lot of work that needs to be done between now and then. As an example, uh, we need to understand who's a fitness professional, what certifications they have, what certification certifying bodies we should trust, um, and that needs to be incorporated as part of the education of physicians and nurses and sort of the, the licensed professionals that uh, patients see. And in fact, I, I know it's not just uh, educating the physicians, but it's asking the fitness profession to stand up. Most people go into a gym, they don't ask whether the fitness professional is certified or not. And there are important important um, uh, initiatives being uh, undertaken right now where that's taking place. Um, so it's good to hear that there is a future for this partnership, medical fitness, exercises, medicine, optimal health centers, means that someone comes in and they're going to be seeing the physician, the fitness professional, um, and their optimal health is being focused on in terms of the issues you talk about, exercise, nutrition, stress, sleep, and so forth. Nearly one, about 50% of Americans have a chronic disease, a preventable chronic disease. Is that an accurate statistic? Yes, yes. And we're, we're basically awash in chronic preventable diseases. Uh, according to the World Health Organization, 
looking forward to the year 2020, which is coming up quickly, globally, two-thirds of all disease, this is global now, will be the result directly of our lifestyle choices. And, and the concordance or the, the overlap with chronic diseases is, is pretty darn close. I mean, there are some exceptions, but when we think about lifestyle-related diseases, things that are the result of our inactivity and overeating and uh, inadequate sleep, et cetera, uh, that translates into chronic disease. And it's at least half at this point. We've had uh, John Rady on uh, Walter Bortz, a good buddy of yours, uh, Claudia Kawas, David Katz, Richard Carmona, Pam Peek, uh, Jim Prochaska. A lot of great names have been on our broadcast. Um, and yet, I read a study this morning that said that um, th- that the number of people taking antidepressant medication from 1987 to 1997 rose from 37% to 74%, and the number of people having counseling, coaching, psychotherapy has declined from 53% to 43%. Why do you think the public is not hearing the brilliant voices of you and so many of your colleagues. I, th- I think that actually the word is getting out. Um, I, the, the issue is, is basically, to, to phrase it in, in some ways, is, uh, is, exercise, is, is the exercise is medicine campaign sufficient to be the big pharma for exercise? If, if, if indeed exercise is medicine, and it's one of the more potent pills or, or, or ways of uh, staving off depression or improving our cognition and improving our sex lives. And we can go on with the myriad benefits of exercise. The question is, do we have enough clout sort of as a fitness and exercise uh, physical activity industry to counter uh, as a counterweight to the considerable industries which have built up a $2.8 trillion sickness care industry. I, I think that's what you're, exactly, what you're yeah. getting at. Right. Yet doctors do have, you've, you've, been, you've said that physicians, MDs, have enormous power, whether it's the power of uh, the patient looking at the doctor for an answer or the prescription pad that the doctor has, the pen and the pad. Um, and so... What somewhere along the line, this campaign has been going on for six years. This is a global initiative that you've been uh, uh, pushing. Is there anything that else that you think that the government can do, communities can do, uh, local health centers can do to encourage more uh, uh, positive lifestyle habit change? Oh, absolutely. In fact, in as much as I'm a, a physician and sitting within the healthcare community, uh, if you look at, for instance, the National Physical Activity Plan, there are eight sectors. Healthcare is only one of them. So that's just to put it into perspective. And all of the other ones. What, what are so what the are other? So, the so for instance, changing the built environment so that the uh, safe way is the active way to get and the efficient way to get from one place to another in a city. So in other words, you've got sidewalks that are uh, welcoming and are safe and, and bicycle paths where you're not, con- you're not fighting with uh, cars and, and you get the rare cyclist who's willing to get out there in the roads. Um, the schools, uh, working with government, uh, working with 
the Department of Defense, uh, who's who's interested in military readiness and having a population that could serve if, if asked to do so or if they want to volunteer, uh, working with uh, employers who are just hamstrung by the enormous the enormity of the the costs of taking care of an an inactive population that are also their employees. So uh, integrating this back into the school system so that from uh, kindergarten through 12th grade, physical activity becomes, uh, once again, a required part of the curriculum. And you have all of the wonderful benefits that John Rady talks about in terms of uh, grades and uh, going up and behaviors improving in school children. So those are just some of the other seven areas. Healthcare is only one part. I think that's a necessary part, but it's not sufficient. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Dr. Phillips, Eddie, you are an amazing, amazing guy. Uh, everything you do, I uh, look at and am, am in awe of. Uh, let me just uh, thank you again. My pleasure. Once again, uh, Eddie Phillips is an assistant professor of physical medicine, rehab, rehabilitation at Harvard Medical School, and the notable director of the Institute of Lifestyle Medicine. Uh, the power behind exercise is medicine, along with his colleagues at the American College of Sports Medicine, a very, very good friend of the American Council on Exercise. And uh, I thank you so much for all of the information you've shared with the public, with fitness professionals. And uh, let's get out there and stay healthy. I'd like to thank all of you listeners who've joined us today. And as always, I encourage you all to subscribe to the podcast and continue your journey to health and fitness by visiting acefit.com, where you'll find everything you need to live your most fit and healthy life. You can explore literally thousands of healthy recipes, health and fitness videos and articles, workout plans, health programs, and creative ways you can get yourself and your family moving and really expert insight on a wide range of topics. So join me next time on 15 Minutes to Wellness, which you can find at acefit.com slash fitcasts. I'm Dr. Michael Mantell, thanking you for being with us on 15 Minutes to Wellness. Wellness.